Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design. Hello and welcome to the Sleeper 2020 podcast. I'm Guy Dietrich, Editor-at-Large of Sleeper Magazine. We are picking up where we left off with our real-life events earlier this year to celebrate our 20th anniversary. This is a series of conversations with leading explorers, thinkers and artists in hospitality experience and design. Our aim is to take a long-term view looking at where the worlds of hospitality and travel may be headed over the next two decades. We will look at the themes, trends and topics that will shape the landscape in years to come. And of course, we will now be looking at this through the lens of our new reality and how the coronavirus may alter or accelerate that future. Today, we're speaking with Kefir Levy, co-founder of Habitas. Habitas is a hospitality group with a laudable ambition to create deeper human connections. And Kefir is with us today to help us better understand how they do that. Kefir, hello and welcome. Hello, thank you for, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Kefir, where are you today? At the moment, I am in Tulum here in Mexico. Before we get into the detail, perhaps, of, of Habitas, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you met with your fellow co-founders, Eduardo Castillo and Oliver Ripley, to found Habitas. So my background is in design and manufacturing. And uh, in 2014, I was actually working on a project where I had this idea of, um, you know, bringing people together in these, you know, immersive retreats. And uh, it was something that I realized people were just, you know, sort of looking for. People were looking for an alternative to music festivals, things that were more intimate, um, much more curated. And at the time, a lot of people were telling me to connect with, you know, this guy, Eduardo, people from several different social circles from all over the world kept telling me, you know, we love what you're doing. You need to meet this guy, Eduardo, because he's working on things that are very similar, focused around music, and you guys can complement each other quite well. And as it turned out, you know, Eduardo and I met in passing through uh, some dear, very dear friends. And within about 20 minutes of meeting, we were basically completing each other's sentences, realizing that we were both on the exact same path and on the same trajectory. And I think what was interesting was that we spent the time talking not necessarily about what we wanted to create or the business or the vision, but it was more about our values and why we're doing this and what we felt was missing and, uh, and sort of how we wanted to live our lives. And so, you know, we, we didn't, you know, we immediately connected. We didn't really think much of it and just jumped right in and, uh, and, and, you know, Habitas was born. What ended up happening was we, we started hosting these immersive events around the world where we would basically, you know, design and manufacture all of our infrastructure, take it around the world in containers, pop up and host these 150 to 200 person, three day, five day, seven day immersive experiences which essentially went viral. And that's ultimately how we ended up uh, connecting with, with Oliver Ripley as well. Yeah, Oliver was uh, a serial entrepreneur, Oliver Ripley. How did you actually you know, catch up with him then through the event side of things? Tell us that. Really, I think I, I have to say I owe it all to music. Um, music being one of our strongest pillars, if not our strongest pillar in our programming. Uh, Eduardo was actually playing a show. He was booked to play at with mutual friends of Oliver. And, uh, and through music, you know, they connected and sure enough, you know, Eduardo and I would continue to host these events and Oliver, you know, sort of kept his eye on us. He was very connected to us. We were, you know, started building a beautiful friendship. And after about 
a year or so of doing what we were doing, he, he came to us and said, guys, I think, I think there's something really, really special here. You know, he's got his business hat on and he would say, you know, what you guys are doing is very unique. Let's, let's lock ourselves up in a room and work together and see how we can turn this into an actual business. You know, it's, it's, um, and, and we started exploring, we started brainstorming and whiteboarding and coming up with different concepts. And, and here we are. How did, how did you get into events? It's quite a, a big step from a, a, a sort of a designer, manufacturer. You were running a fashion, your own fashion label, uh, couture fashion, and then you were doing outdoor products. How did, how did you get into events? It's quite a, a big step. Well, I think what it came down to is I very quickly realized that people weren't necessarily interested in the tangible product. You know, they weren't necessarily interested in buying the material goods. They didn't want the product itself. They wanted the experience that came around it. And so <clears throat> I also realized that people were, were very much wanting something different and it wasn't the tangible. It was, it was the, it was the stories. It was, you know, everything that, that came around it. And so putting together the event was sort of the necessary, the necessary next step, you know, um, and that's, that's how we sort of fell into it. Hospitality was a very, very part, a very big part of our events. Our event infrastructure was very much that of a pop-up hotel. I mean, we had full back of house, full accommodations, full, you know, uh, F and B, all of our programming lounges. So it, even though it was an event, it was very much a pop-up hotel. And Eduardo, I understand has a strong, not only a strong music background, uh, but also a hospitality background. He was uh, running the, the Tribeca Grand in, in New York, uh, as well as several other restaurants, I think in Manhattan. That was a, a key element as well of, of when you got together? Yeah, I mean, again, Eduardo and I connected through music. He is a uh, brilliant musician and composer, and um, his background in hospitality was was sort of, you know, what helped take this musical component with the event component and sort of, you know, bridging everything together through this hospitality-driven experience, and uh, and it you know it, it all fell into place, you know, again through all these different elements. Cool. And how how would you describe your role in that case? I you know I guess looking at it from a high level, you know, I like. I like when things work. I like when things sort of fall into place. And, um, and I, you know, I, I look at it almost like from you know, putting a logistics hat on, right? It's like, how do you take all of these moving parts and you sort of just put them all together and, and the end goal, should I say, or the objective is to really just not necessarily build the physical, but really just focus on the experience you want to create. And for me, wearing multiple hats and sort of, you know, guiding and leading the different teams and driving everything forward has been my I think my biggest passion in all of this is just seeing how everything works together. And describe for us, perhaps you know, one one of the the the, the more memorable uh, events that you put on, be that a, a two day or seven day, you know, the story you had behind it, and, and how did you create this feeling of uh, immersion amongst your and, and connectedness amongst your 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 guests? I know exactly. I mean, I can I, I can narrow it down to to an exact hour uh, in 2015, actually. We had hosted our, um, our very first flagship event in Tulum at a friend's hotel here. And, uh, you know, the hotel was just being built. And, you know, I, th I think guests, we had 120 guests arriving from all over the world from December 27th to January 3rd. And, um, you know, as people were checking in, the, the paint was still drying on the walls. You know, ceiling fans were still being installed. And so needless to say, it was pretty stressful. And we spent the first day, day and a half, you know, which was a Saturday, I'm sorry, Sunday, Monday, putting together everything and trying to get everybody comfortable and situated. And finally, on Tuesday evening, by the time everybody was here and, you know, people were sort of just jumping in, we, you know, Eduardo and I sort of decided, you know what, enough with the logistics, enough with the planning, enough with the fixing, 
let's just get straight to the experience and just do what we do and bring people together and just try to make some magic happen. And that evening, you know, we were hanging out in the lounge at the hotel and uh, Eduardo had put the, 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 um, all the sound equipment on the floor in the middle of the room and it started storming and it was very, very windy and there were leaks everywhere. <laughs> and it was, I mean, you know, if you looked at it from the outside, you'd say, this is, you know, a bit chaotic, but there was something unbelievable that happened when that music came on and everybody was together. Nothing mattered. I mean, you have 120 people all under one roof. Everybody is dancing. The wind came in and started knocking things over. The thunder, the lightning it was so dramatic. And at one point, and we actually have this moment captured on the video. At one point, Eduardo looks at me and he's like, what the hell is going on right now? You know, this energy, this, this, the way that everybody is just so hyper present, you can feel that people just wanted this. And it was so much more important than whether or not, you know, their air conditioner was working or whether or not, you know, the room was ready. And from that moment forward, the rest of the week was just complete bliss. And it was a very big pivotal moment for Habitas, you know, because it, it not only validated uh, what we were doing, but we also realized we were sort of stepping into a new realm because here we are at a hotel, you know, completely new model of operation, completely new experience. And we are creating something that just has not been done before. And, and it was it was phenomenal. And it was that Tuesday night that was a very, very, very pivotal moment for us. Very good. Very good. And in 2016, it was when you opened the, 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 the first hotel or the home, as, as Habitas like to call their properties. And in that same year, I met you just after the opening, I think it was, at the Design Hotel's annual arena in, in Barcelona. And no less than two years later, you were celebrating the new concept uh, category award um, at our Ahead Americas uh, Awards in Miami. Describe the Tulum property for us um, and, and how it started out and perhaps how it's developed uh, to where it is today. Sure. The, the Tulum property, I think, you know, what was interesting is after that event that we hosted in um, 2015, 2016, you know, people started calling us again, what are your plans for New Year's? Where are you guys going to be? You know, again, we had this, this beautiful community of people from around the world that were following us. And so that was when we, we thought, you know what, instead of hosting another event in Tulum, why don't we just do a pop-up? You know, let's let it run for the season and, and let's see how it goes. And so, you know, it was actually kicked off by, by a meeting we had in Barcelona prior we were invited to come and see different lands and different options in Tulum. And we figured, okay, you know what, for this high season, instead of hosting an event, let's do a full pop-up, you know, we'll build a camp and we'll see where it goes. And, and we had come down to Tulum, Eduardo and I, with our families and literally decided to build this camp with our bare hands. I and mean, we had a, a big crew of people um, and we just got started building and halfway through the build, it, we started realizing, you know what, we're going to build a lobby and we're going to build a pool and we're going to build, you know, a wellness center. And it turned into a hotel, you know, and the interesting thing was our timeline didn't change. And so before you know it, here we are, you know, thinking we're building a camp for the high season and ending up four months later with a full 35 room hotel on the beach. And so that, that's something that I think, you know, again, having been able to say that we built this hotel from the ground up in four months is something that, you know, one, we're proud of, and two, I think wouldn't have been able to be done had we were more, you know, had we were so rigid on what we were actually setting out to build. It was the fluidity that sort of allowed us to sort of move in that direction. So, and, so describe, the, describe the fluidity of the building and, and, the, and maybe the construction process. How does, it, how does it look if someone hasn't actually seen a picture of this, uh, this, this property? 
So the hotel itself has 35 rooms that are actually tented. And um, these are, you know, elevated wooden deck platforms or traditional palapa roofs, and they have canvas walls. And, you know, they're quite large, you know, they have all the amenities, they have bathrooms, showers, king size beds, air conditioning. Uh, it's definitely a more elevated product, but it's not a traditional brick and mortar construction. You know, um, as we don't necessarily identify as traditional real estate developers, for us, it was just about the experience. We need a place for people to come and be comfortable and stay. And what is the experience we can create around being in a tent, you know, uh, in the jungle, on the beach, by the pool. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so we basically were able to build quickly because it's not a traditional development. And how does how does this um, this 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 non bricks and mortar uh, property survive the the hurricane seasons and, and other severe weather uh, conditions you might experience in the Caribbean? Well, thankfully to date we haven't had uh, we haven't had much. You know, we had this 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 hurricane that passed us by last week, and then we had a pretty big tropical storm that came in a few years ago. And, and you know, knock on wood, surprisingly we didn't have any damage. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know. We are always up against nature. We are living in the tropics. We're right against the ocean. And um, we have our protocols. Our, our staff are very well trained. And so we also know that in the event of a hurricane, everybody's going to take a hit. You know, everybody's going to take you know, some degree of a beating. And hopefully ours will be minimal and we'll be able to rebuild quicker because, because we're not traditional. Okay. Um, talking about another uh, non-traditional property, um, you've just opened recently a, a property in Namibia, um, shortlisted on our Middle East and Africa uh, Ahead Awards. Tell us a little bit about the Namibia property. The Namibia property is mind-blowing. I mean, it's really, really, really stellar. It sits on a uh, 50,000 hectare game reserve. Uh, we have all the you know big animals there, and we are pretty much the only people on the property. We built uh, 15 rooms uh, on the top of a mountain in the middle of the savannah out there uh, with the most incredible view. We have a, a beautiful lobby that's, again, uh, tented, a beautiful pool, full spa, wellness center. And, uh, and it's the Habitat's version of a safari camp. Um, we basically designed and built all of the rooms here in our factory in Mexico. We loaded them up into nine shipping containers and sent them across the Atlantic. And we built it over the course of several months. And, uh, and it's, when I say it's our version of a safari camp, it's, you know, one, how do we, how do we take our design methodology and construction methodology and apply it to different parts of the world? And two, from a programming perspective, how do we differ? You know, how do we take the DNA and the heart and soul of our brand and actually adapt it to uh, a destination like Namibia and a product like a safari camp? And how have you done that? I think for us, you know, the essence of the brand, I think what I, the way that I try to summarize it is leading with culture. You know, I think um, Namibia is such a unique country. And for us, it's one thing to, for people to go out there and make it all about the animals. But for us personally, it's also about the people. You know, Namibia has so many, so many tribes and so much culture and such diversity and such a small population that our programming that we, you know, that we try to adapt again, it's, it's food, music, conversation, wellness, adventure and learning. Those are our programming pillars that when you think about, you know, you don't necessarily think about that when you go on safari. And so for us, you know, again, the food, what's the story behind our chefs and the plates that you're being served? You know, how are we incorporating music into the daily programs that are happening out there? Uh, how do we incorporate, you know, how do we adapt our concept of wellness when you're out in the bush? And so being able to sort of stick to our programming pillars and our DNA and completely reinterpret and adapt them based on whatever that local culture is that we're leading with is, I mean, one, it's incredibly fun and two, it's challenging. 
Absolutely. Uh, it's a very different culture out there. Um, and how, how's it been received? How are people uh, liking Namibia? Well, to be honest, we opened just before lockdown. And so we hadn't, uh, we hadn't really had a chance to get it to, to full capacity yet. But uh, the people that were there, the people that did come to visit, and you know, I, that was actually my last trip, uh, my last big trip out of the country. Um, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was beautiful, you know, to be out there and to speak to our, our incredible, incredible staff out there to go and experience the culture, to be out there and see the sunrise on that mountaintop. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. Truly, it's beyond words. Uh, and are the the safari elements a, a, a very big part because that's normally what people would go to Namibia for um is it is it a massive part you still got you still got your two drives you know before the the, the dawn drive and the, then the sunset drive is that sort of the way it still works and then you factor in everything around it or is it much more focused on as you say the, the local community and their skills and their craftsmanship and and, and perhaps their music their food etc where's the where's the balance well, I think it is all of the above. I mean, at the end of the day, we do have uh, we do have our game drives with our you know with our trackers and our guides, and we have them in the morning, we have them in the evenings, and then depending on weather, we'll do some in the middle of the day as well. If there's anything unique happening, or anything you know out of the ordinary, I should say, which happens to be quite often, um, and so. We the game drives do make up uh, a pretty big part of why people go there, go to Namibia, regardless. Because as you probably know, you know people that are traveling to Namibia or they're going on, on safari in Africa, they're usually multiple stops on their tour. You know they'll come from Botswana or they'll go, you know, uh, to Etosha up in the north, and so people will travel around. And, and we will incorporate the game drives. However, um, there is ample programming throughout the day, and uh, we also do you know different adventures out in the bush. We'll do bush rides out and. You People can have dinners out. They can sleep on different parts of the property where we do these little pop-up camps. Um, we have our uh, our bush guides that actually go out and they show you how to essentially use the fields almost as a pharmacy, You know how to sort of understand the properties of the plants and what every individual thing out there really means. And it's, it's really fascinating. And to me, it's actually beyond the animals, you know, to go out there and, and spend time with the bush people and actually see what they're doing and, and how they see the landscape is incredibly fascinating. Yeah, leading with culture, as you said. Well, you mentioned there that the coronavirus, of course, is uh, affecting uh, everybody uh, across the world. And you also mentioned that was your last long flight was uh, to Namibia. From Tulum, or were you up in the States, or where, where, were, you, uh, where were you flying back to from, from Namibia? I was in Namibia, and I flew back to Tulum uh, via Cancun. So this was at the end of February, and I had gotten back just as people were, you know, I think I got back a week before lockdown. And, um, and I was out there basically just, again, gearing up for a few little finishing touches, some updates, some things that we wanted to add to the camp. And then as soon as I landed, uh, I had some friends that had a trip planned to go out there the following week, and, and you know, they actually shut down. They were, South Africa and Namibia were among the first to shut down completely, total lockdown. And when was your most recent flight then? My most recent flight was last week. I flew to Todos Santos, to Baja, California. And ironically enough, as soon as I landed, I got a notification of the hurricane coming into Tulum and had to fly back the next morning. Oh, boy. Um, and that, that's uh, another one of your potential future properties, isn't it, on, on the, uh, the, uh, the Baja California Pacific coast of uh, Mexico? Yeah, Baja California is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly special. It's virgin. It's untouched. It's it's just it's where I spent you know a, a large part of my life in Mexico before I moved to Tulum, and uh, would be traveling there all the time. And so, for us to be able to bring what we're doing to to Baja California is uh, it's a dream personally. 
Let, let's move on to the the, uh, the other elements of this podcast series where we've we've asked you a little bit about what happened uh, pre-corona, but also what do you see the fu- how do you see the future of uh, travel over the next two decades? Uh, a new paradigm for hospitality. Uh, what would be the main global shifts in travel? Do you think in the next twenty years? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I feel like as travel becomes more accessible, and I think that as things start to sort of wind down and dare I say, go back to some form of normalcy. I feel like, you know, travel is becoming more accessible to many people. And I feel like this, this, this more of like a decentralized workspace is going to be more of the norm. And one, I feel, you know, what I, what I would like to see happen is people are going to have more of a conscious or purpose-driven travel. People are going to want a little bit more out of their, their vacation, you know, or their you know, non-business related travel. I think what's been interesting for us here in Tulum is, you know, as you may or may not know, Tulum bounced right back. I mean, we had a record August, we had a record September, and uh, and this is right after the, the lockdown. And what we're realizing and speaking to people is, you know, we have people coming here essentially on one-way tickets, and they're coming here as tourists, they're coming here traveling, but the reason that they're coming is because it's so different from you know where they came from, and they value their travel, they value the, the connection, they miss it. You know, and I think that what I can only hope for would be for the future of travel is that that longing for connection, the longing for adventure is not forgotten and it's not diluted. And I, and I hope that that's what people ultimately, you know, value. You know, I, want, I would like to think that as time goes by, that that is what that is, that is a priority that people are going to put on their travel. With regard to now to design, um, how do you see the, 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 the general uh, uh, hospitality design uh, changes that might be happening over the next 20 years perhaps a, a standard hotel i know this is not what you guys are about but just thinking of it as a as normal traveler um how do you think the hotels will look in the next 20 years the non-habitas hotel you know again i i, I feel you know i think that what, what's going to be happening is and the trend that we're seeing in the space specifically is that Hotels are, you know, they're now looking for two things. One is every hotel wants to be associated with what they call a community and they want to be able to attach their hotel experience or or they want to attach their hotel brand to, you know, what a guest would identify as an experience from, from what we've seen, you know, oftentimes community is replaced with mailing list and experience is replaced with entertainment. But what's interesting is that people are, are much more focused on, you know, how do we really, really incorporate experience into our design, into our program, into the check-in process, into the dining experience. And it's, I'm curious to see how that's going to evolve and how people are going to interpret that and, and really try to lead from that place. Um, and I do consider that also to be the norm for, you know, um, I guess, as you put it, more normal non-habitus properties, because because why not? You know, I do feel like people, as we get older, as we travel more, as, you know, the next generation comes up and they're going to be the busy travelers that we once were, I feel like, you know, in, in the way the world is going right now, leading with values and leading with experience, I think is going to have an inherent value to many, many people. And, and that's, again, it's what I can hope for and what I what I believe will happen. And how do you think you create better experiences than perhaps other hotels? How do Habitats do this better? Well, I, I think, you know, it's not, 
so much a matter of, of better or worse per se. I don't like using those types of terms. I think for me, it's more a matter of authenticity, right? We started Habitas because we had a, a vision for the way that we wanted to live our lives. Hospitality is the platform that allows us to share it with as many people as possible and make an impact. And I think for us, when we look at our market, we look at our hotel guests, they're not just you know sales figures or occupancy targets or things like that. For us, our hotel guests genuinely do Every, every guest really is an opportunity, right? And I think when you think about it, you know, in a place like Tulum or a place like Namibia, people are showing up the best version of themselves. They've often planned, they're excited, you know, this is their, their once a year trip or their bucket list trip or whatever it is, and they show up as the best version of themselves. It's not like a business trip to New York or, you know, Mexico City. And so we get to experience people at their finest. You know, they, they show up happy. They've, they've showed up in a different mindset. And for us as, as hotel owners, you know, we have a responsibility with that to, to that because, you know, if somebody shows up at our doorstep, so to speak, this version of themselves, what do we want to leave them with? What's the inspiration we want to we try to instill in them? What's the idea we want to exchange with them? And so for us, when we think about the experience and we think about the values that we live with, that's really where it all comes from. It's, it's every hotel guest, every person that walks in the doors is such an incredible opportunity to, to inspire change, to inspire you know, a, a moment. And, and we try to do that across every level, from the way the check-in process is handled, to the way the staff are greeting them, to the way our housekeepers interact with the guests, to the way the food is served, and of course, all the different you know, programming that we have at the hotel. That's lovely. Opportunity sounds a bit like you're, you're judging these people on a very commercial basis, but really what you're doing is providing, I think, you know, or trying to provide the best version of your hotel for these people who are, like you say, looking their finest and they're looking for the, the best experience ever. And that's what you've got to deliver. It's a, it's a, it's a great little way of looking at things. One, 100%. That's, that's, that's exactly it. Let's let's look a little bit more then at maybe the Habitat's design style. And you mentioned earlier this idea of the uh, off-site construction uh, of certain modules or parts of the of, of the properties uh, in Mexico, and then shipping them uh, to to other parts of the world. Um, you were used you did this in Namibia. I know that you'll also be uh, doing it on a new project, Alula, in Saudi. How does how does that work, and and where did that come from? That's quite a big undertaking uh, for a relatively small business, I would suggest. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's um, it is quite an undertaking. So, as my background is in you know design manufacturing, I think with most manufacturing, where the variables are are in all the things you can't control, namely you know supply chain, third parties, you know things like that. When you look at the Habitas way of building hotels, I think it's a hybrid between manufacturing and construction. And part of why you know we decided to vertically integrate is because you know. When you think about traditional construction, you're thinking about heavy equipment, you're thinking about hundreds of people on site, you're thinking about a, a lot of impact on the land, and a lot of it is not necessary. You know, when you're thinking about what the end goal is, it's to create an experience. And so does that traditional method of construction directly affect the experience that we're trying to create? And, and nine times out of 10, the answer is no. And so by vertically integrating, it allows us to control 70 to 80% of the construction process, <clears throat> excuse me, in a controlled environment in our facilities where we have architects, designers, engineers, CNC machines, carpentry. Um, and we essentially design, build, flat pack, <clears throat> excuse me, and ship around the world in part to be able to minimize the impact on the land and also to, to activate the land as opposed to develop it. 
And, and that mindset has sort of given us that edge to be able to work on multiple projects at once under the same roof and, uh, and be a lot more efficient in our construction. But arguably, environmentally, shipping all the stuff across the world uh, is not the, the most environmentally friendly way of, of doing things. Shouldn't you be dealing with local people, materials, methods to get that right and become more authentic to the environment in which you're, you're putting in the hotel? I think, I think what we do is with every project, we analyze what's available. We analyze what the methodologies are, what's available locally. And, you know, in some places that we travel to, when we're really in the middle of nowhere, there's not a whole lot. You're dealing with materials that are imported from far away and very invasive construction methods to where, you know, we don't necessarily align with that particular way. As far as authenticity goes, 100%. You know, in places like Baja California and in Namibia, we have incredible, you know, incredible tradespeople, incredible skilled, you know, craftsmen. And we definitely incorporate that into the construction process. And, and that analysis comes during the design process where we actually see, okay, what do we need to do? And what are we offsetting? And what are we building in-house versus what are we building locally? And for us to be able to, you know, take a ready-made flat-packed room that's built and designed out of sustainable materials and ship it and offset that shipment, we have found that is a lot more efficient and less invasive and less impactful than, say, you know, digging and pouring a bunch of concrete and rebar and steel into the ground. And so, you know, when, when it comes to sustainability and the environment, we, there's, there's a lot of analysis that we do. And I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is finding the balance between sustainable development, sustainable operations, and logistics. How do you design the properties for social integration? So, so I think social architecture is something that, you know, it starts with letting the landscape dictate what we can and cannot do, right? So things like no straight lines, right? I mean, I guess philosophically, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And I think when you break that down and you think, okay, if I'm standing at point A, it's not just about getting to point B, but it's about what happens in that process from going from one place to another. And so when we design our properties and we master plan, we think about how do we create this, you know, these beautiful pathways and these, you know, sort of organic, organic ways of going, moving from one place to another. And all of these roads tend to lead to one place. You know, they tend to lead to one centralized gathering space that even though it might be, you know, say made up of multiple restaurants, they would be sort of in a, in a, in what we would call like a town square kind of an activation, right? So whereas most larger hotels, you know, you have, they're spread out along, however many meters of beachfront you might have, you know, three or four different restaurants scattered along that area where what we will do is we will actually create one main activation hub where we will have all of those different restaurants in there. And again, it's about social architecture for us isn't just about the communal tables, but really that all paths lead to one place. It's this meeting point, this convergence point where all the programming takes place. You see people moving around and, and you never really feel that, you know, that, that, that alone that you were talking about earlier. Uh, beyond the, beyond the communal dining table, other things that uh, are, are evident in your social architecture? Programming, our wellness, our music, um, a lot of our content. You know, we try to do a lot of these, you know, communal communal programming elements that take place every day. Whereas, you know, one person might go and check into a hotel, and if they want to go get a wellness element, they they book a treatment or they do whatever it is in the spa on their own. With us, you know, we have communal wellness programs that happen on the beach. We have, uh, you know, sound, these beautiful sound journeys that we do on the rooftop of our building here in Tulum. 
And these are oftentimes, you know, practices that are done in much more, you know, I guess you could say private intimate spaces that somebody would come into a hotel and book. But with us being able to do them in groups of 10, 12, 15 people at a time with hotel guests that don't know each other, it's again, our way of taking this pillar of wellness and saying, how do we adapt it to this communal social, you know, social interaction, uh, music as well. You know, all of our gatherings are, are focused around music they're sort of led with music and when we think about it it's not a party it's just another opportunity to really really bring people together uh, in a different context yeah cool so like a like a yoga class on the beach or something yeah it's not a one-on-one it's a it's a group yoga class there's the group yoga there's you know we do these beautiful you know mind place mind play sessions i guess you can call them on the beach with our practitioners where everybody gets together and you know yes there's a there's a sound component and everybody gets covered in this beautiful mayan clay and they all run into the ocean together and everybody's having a blast and you know again this is a treatment that might normally be done in a treatment room but we do it collectively together on the beach and it turns into this beautiful light-hearted incredible experience that everybody loves Sign me up. I'm there. I'm there. It's, it's <laughs> Listen, uh, Kafir, this, this sounds this sounds great, and and uh, we wish you all the best uh, with with Habitas and your future expansion. Um, I also I see Bhutan down as a, as another venue. We mentioned uh, the, the the Baja California, Costa Rica as well. Uh, plenty of projects uh, coming up for you. Keeping busy. Yes, we are definitely definitely keeping busy. We have we have a fun a couple a few very fun years ahead. Wonderful, um, Kafir. Levy, thank you very much indeed uh, for telling us a little bit about how Habitas works uh, and thank you once again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design.